this podcast, John Knives talks about demystifying AI for enterprises. So stay tuned. So welcome everyone to another episode of Future of Data podcast. Today we have with us an amazing guest, uh, John Louis Knives, uh, serves as Chief Data Officer and the Global Chair of the Digital Transformation Practice at N2 Growth. Uh, prior to joining N2 Growth, um, Mr. Knives was an, at IBM Global Business Services within the Watson and Analytics Center of Competence. Where there he worked on cognitive digital transformation project related to Watson, big data, analytical, social, social business, and marketing advertising technologies. Example include cognitive TV and the application of external unstructured data, social weather um, uh, for business transformations. Prior relevant experience includes executive leadership positions at Nielsen, IRI, Kraft, uh, two successful advertising technology acquisitions, AppNexus, and Syntech Media. In this capacity, John um, combines information analytics and technology to create significant business value in transformative ways. Uh, John earned a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering from University of Buffalo and an MBA in finance and computer science from Pace. He is married with four kids and lives in New York City area. With that said, John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, uh, merci. So it's Jean-Louis. But I go by John, and uh, you know, thanks very much. That was a great introduction. Awesome. So, why don't you uh, walk us through your arc of your career? Like, what you have been through a lot, and it, and it, I think to give you a background, when I was looking at your uh, your back uh, uh, your profile, the thing that fascinated me was AI. Like, you have been uh, from the marketing analytics to really hardcore vendors who are delivering product services in AI and Watson and all. If you can walk us through your journey. Yeah. Okay. Well, you did a great job with my profile. So I, I'll try not to, to repeat that. But uh, I started off as a data scientist, all right, engineer, MBA. I was a data scientist, Kraft Foods, Dow 30 company, was doing regression models, got a president's award for a coffee commodity price forecasting model, was doing simulation work, optimization work. So a true data scientist, right, uh, of, of, that, of that day. Uh, in a world where people were really software engineers. So it was unique to be a data scientist back then. Um, I went to go work at a company that, be, that really fostered the first era of big data. So this was a company, Information Resources. Uh, they were pioneering UPC scanner data. And that suddenly was an order of magnitude. So all of a sudden, companies had exactly what product was purchased, what the price was, all of the mm. promotional conditions consumer promotions, advertising, and how do I take the quantum increase in terms of information and make sense of it? So uh, I was really big data of its era. I helped them kind of build out their business intelligence uh, practice, eventually becoming, you know, sort of the EDP of sales and general manager of the software group, um, where we eventually sold that to Oracle. And that became kind of Oracle's original, you know, business intelligence kind of kernel. Um, but that was really working with major companies, Pepsi, Procter. How do I take advantage of this data? How do we, you know, early use of neural networks, of expert systems to help them be able to kind of do that? Um, I was fortunate enough to join Nielsen when the next era of 
big data occurred, which was the commercialization of the internet. So we basically built a global internet measurement service, uh, the first, and it really talked about what people did online, how they came to their site, where they went to the site, what the effects of advertising were, and you know, kind of on UK television, explaining the internet to people, uh, showing that you know the average person spent about uh, 30 seconds a page, and you know, all of a sudden eBay was 30 minutes and sticky, and you know, so how do I monetize all of this data? Is what we were kind of talking about there. Um, as you mentioned, looked at now advertising and advertising technology, which is amazing how much technology goes into the online ads that you end up seeing. Um, and then, you know, made my way to IBM when they, you know, were first launching Watson. So Jeopardy had come out. It was a technology uh, in search of a solution. So really helped at what some of the early use cases would look like. How do I, uh, you know, how do you take this natural language data, but how do you take external unstructured data so worked with companies like Twitter at monetizing that type of information and how do I combine sort of uh, sort of the marketing cloud uh, that kind of IBM had so it was really part of the early set of, of of use cases that you mentioned including things like what the future of television looks like for example right um, you know and I, now I'm doing that on my own, I'm doing it as part of another company. I'm chief digital officer of this company, Enter Growth, and uh, we're basically building a practice that's trying to help companies take advantage of the transformational opportunity that this combination of data and analytics provides. And I also have the pleasure of teaching uh, at Rutgers, so I'm teaching a class on, you know, machine learning for executives. So it's really working with major corporations and helping them take advantage of this underlying big data and machine learning that's coming out there. So that's a little bit of the arc. It's always been kind of business building and it's always been trying to help companies, you know, take advantage of the of the data and the analytics and the emerging technologies in, in innovative ways. Interesting. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Fascinating, by the way. Uh, and, and I do appreciate you for sharing that. So tell me more about um, your current role uh, and, and and if you can walk us a bit more on what into growth is and what do you do and all that. And, and definitely yeah, uh, you, so, uh, you, your academics as well. So. Yeah, so we're a leadership uh, advisory company. Uh, Forbes recognizes Entgrowth as one of the top management consulting firms. It also has a very strong executive search practice. All right, so those are the two parts of it. And I'm trying to, and I'm building out the um, an AI or cognitive transformation practice on their behalf. So to do that, we've developed a series of tools. So I've created this, uh, what I call the I6 framework, which are six I's that we work with companies to help them identify where the opportunities are. So the six eyes are focused on the individual, on information, on innovation, on incubation, and on investment. So kind of six eyes. So focus on the individual is really kind of personalization, consumer, customer, centricity that every company needs to have in order to drive digital transformation. That's first and foremost. Then you look at it, what information is needed. You don't start with the information, you start with the mm. customer need, 
but then you figure out what the information is, what the, you know, what the four V's are, big data, that you want to be able to then have that solves the problem. Innovation. We help create a roadmap, an AI roadmap of a portfolio of AI opportunities that exist, and then you prioritize that. And then what we can do is we can incubate those opportunities. So, uh, you know, in one example, we ended up building a cognitive digital agent for a client that had a need to improve their customer uh, intimacy. I'll tell a little bit more about that later. And then investment, you create the business case, the ROI case around going ahead and doing that that's tied, not as science projects, but tied to business outcomes. All right, so we follow the 6i framework. We typically then do an assessment that includes those 6i's, um, and then very often try to tie it to one of these proof of concept quick wins, so that it's not just sort of theoretical, but clients are able to see these kind of uh, uh, AI in action in a very short amount of time. All right, so that's kind of an example of what we're doing here. And then we're also teaching at Rutgers, and that really opens up a whole slew of opportunities. So this is not necessarily the students. This is corporations that mm. send teams of people that we then work with that try and identify some big data and transformative opportunities that they have. Interesting. And and um, if you can walk us through what really does chief digital officer means here for for a company like Into Growth? Yeah, so it really is about um, thinking of your business differently. So if you're an executive search firm, which is often about personalities, and you know we're really looking uh, at the application of artificial intelligence to help differentiate that kind of a practice. You know we could try to determine not just um, what a candidate. So I think of it not as, as big data, but as wide data. Mm. So if you want to think about an HR application, I've got rows of people that I've got, and I've got some attributes about them, but I can add significant number of wide columns about them. Mm. I can take their resume and figure out from that. Now I can codify it to what some characteristics look like. I can infer from people's Twitter profiles, various elements. I can infer from various writings that they've done, various elements. And so I can create this broader holistic mm. picture of a candidate or employees and, and use that as better inputs to try to you know, align skills to requirements. So it's just an example of a, a digital application within the context of a, you know, an internal application, right? And the second part is, really as global chair of this AI transformation practice to, mm. to build out that practice with clients. Interesting. Fascinating. Um, so I definitely want your perspective on the current trend of AI, right? So we hear, a, so I think it used to be big data a couple of years back. Now, all we hear about is AI, 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 machine learning, AI. What do you think? Is this is this a real thing or or it's or it's overhyped? Like, what's your perspective on that? Hey, I always think there's uh, good news and bad news, right? So, uh, you know, the bad news is that generally speaking, AI can only do two things. Um, think of it as broadly, but when you break it down, it does two things: it clusters data, it takes data and explores it, and clusters it and segments it to come up with new observations. And it makes predictions. 
So it predicts what's, what's going to happen. You know, that's the bad news. It only does two things. The mm. good news is that by doing those two things, you could unlock untold amount of, of value creation within your organizations by kind of doing those two things better. And so what I try to do is narrow the way people think about these things to focus them on a couple of things that they can then visualize and see and try to make improvements on, you know, things like clustering and things like, uh, like predictions. Uh, you know, I think the New York Times said it best, which is, let me just read their quote, you know, AI can probably do less right now than you think, mm. but it will eventually do more than you probably think in more places than you probably think. And it will probably evolve faster than the most powerful technologies have in the past. All right, and so it really will make its way, many cases transparently by simply automating things that are done, augmenting our capabilities to do things, or doing things a little bit more autonomously for us. So those are three different ways of thinking about AI is automated intelligence, augmented intelligence, and then autonomous intelligence. Interesting. And we'll talk, I'll explain more on Interesting. those. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. So so, so from your perspective, is is there an element of hype or it's just, just everything what we are seeing is justified and more to come? Um, you know, I think the hype machine is in, in, in great, um, you know, in great, there's a lot of hype out there around the technology. Mm. Um, and the technology, I think, in many ways is not a thing that you're going to buy. It's mm. going to improve a lot of the elements that you're doing in many ways more transparently. And, um, you know, one of the ways to think about it might be, if I could jump ahead, might be to even look at some of the use cases that are every day, right? So, um, you know, we see it in character recognition um, as an example. So just to try to elaborate a bit, so it used to be, People would, for 20 years, try to do if-then-else statements to figure out what an A is or a B and a C, and they couldn't quite figure out how to do it. The way they solved the problem was basically to bring the data and let a machine start reading many versions of A's or B's and try to mm. do character recognition in that fashion. And the machine learned what an A versus a D is. And so now the post office... Nobody looks at a letter anymore. All of those letters go through character recognition applications and done much more efficiently. So, you know, it's an application of that that you don't really see. Uh, email. We used to get spam email all the time. Now you very rarely get spam email at, at this point in time. So artificial intelligence applications have been used to de determine, predict, is this spam or not spam? And over mm -hmm. time learned which ones it was, and now you end up with great, uh, you know, uh, content uh, or, or the correct elements. Content is the same way. You know, it looks for content that's relevant to you and sends you more relevant content, sends you more relevant advertising. Uh, 
language translation. If you cut and paste from one to the other, it'll translate words now effortlessly. Mm. So uh, there are a lot of applications uh, that that you end up seeing transparently now that use AI in the background to make you more efficient, to automate some of the things that used to take time, to augment your decision making. And some of the things just kind of go away. They get done automatically, like, you know, serving of ads, for example. Um, so there are a couple of those types of use cases that we see. Interesting. And and so one of I def, I want your perspective on why now, like what what has has happened, uh, or what are some of the drivers that that are that are in action nowadays that we are hearing this word more often than than we we used to. What's your so, thoughts on that? So yeah, it's it's three or four things, but it's the explosion of data. So you can draw any curve you want, geometric explosion mm. of data. The rate of increase of data scientists or engineers is nowhere near what the rate of increase of data is. Mm. So the only way you're gonna be able to take advantage of the data is through these types of applications. So data mm. explosion is a major part of it. Another part of the, the driving the data explosion is this notion of structured and unstructured data. Computers used to be good at numbers, structured data. Now suddenly it's able to translate images and make an image structured data from unstructured to structured. Now a computer can handle that. It takes text and turns text into numbers. A computer can handle that. It takes voice, turns that into numbers. It takes location information, translates weather data. So there's just this increase in terms of what I call wide data again, associated with 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 that um, every individual generates about a gigabyte of digital exhaust every day that's mm. being created into the ether and so it's now capturing that so it's the explosion of kind of data uh compute power network power cloud power is much much cheaper um algorithms have improved so jeffrey hinton uh, has made, you know, who head of Google, T University of Toronto, tremendous improvements in terms of, uh, of deep learning and neural networks and artificial neural networks. All of a sudden, image recognition, Jan LeCun um, out of Facebook and my hometown in France, uh, basically, have made tremendous improvements in the algorithm. So data, compute, algorithm combined with businesses' time compression. So I need to make decisions quicker, more automated, faster. And that's driving kind of the explosion that we're now seeing out there. Interesting. And and one sort of um, keyword that we are hearing now a lot nowadays is deep learning. What, what's your perspective and take on or what is deep learning? And then if you can, if you can shed some light uh, for, for our viewers. Yeah, so I listeners. try to help people, you know, I try to demystify this whole thing of AI, right? AI, machine learning, deep learning, how do they fit? What are they? So I think the easiest way to think of it is kind of in a historical time series context. So mm -hmm. AI came out first. It was the first word that was used. People like McCarthy at Dartmouth, mm. MIT kind of coined the term. Uh, in the 50s, you know, uh, imitation game was, was kind of part of that. And uh, so AI came out first with this broader notion of anything that, you know, makes computers smarter. Uh, machine learning came out a little bit later, 
And that was these analytical techniques that had the concept change from if-then-else programming, so you're now programming on data, to I just read all of the data and I allow the machine to learn itself. Mm-hmm. So Minsky out of MIT and IBM, for example, you know, rather than teaching the program chess and trying to learn all the future moves or checkers in his case, um, basically taught a computer how to play against itself and had trained itself. So it started off with random moves and it got smarter and smarter over time until now it's trained as the best chess player. So the machine learned how to play checkers, learned how to play chess, learned how to play Go. Machine learned these kind of capabilities. So that's the concept of machine learning that then gets applied. And now what we're seeing is this excitement in deep learning. And this deep learning comes out of Hinton and artificial neural networks and Lacoon and uh, convolutional neural networks. But now all of a sudden I can take, uh, you know, and, and they get their inspiration from, you know, what organism out there learns. And if I'm going to build a thinking machine, where does that come from? And the inspiration comes from humans and the human brain and, and neurons. And we have 100 billion neurons. And how do they work? Well, they take inputs. If they reach a certain threshold, it sends a signal out. And so that concept of neurons and neural networks kind of evolved out of that kind of element and huge improvements from back propagation. And so basically neural networks learn uh, how people operate or basically learn how to improve via simulations uh, and outcome. And it's basically a series of inputs that leads to an output and the machine in the middle is doing almost all of the learning itself is really kind of the concept there. And, um, you know, one example would be, you know, you could take an expert, uh, you know, a used car person and they're an expert and you can bring a car and he'll know the price of the car instantly. Mm-hmm. Now, if you try to train a computer to say, you know, if it's a BMW or if it's a Dodge and if it's this year and this many miles, you can do that, but they're always changing. And so the system kind of learns what the pricing looks like, and it can spit out the prices as good as that expert can uh, without the training, you know, without, uh, uh, without having – so it creates leverage for organizations in order to do that. Interesting. So it's a little bit of the concept. And, and, and I didn't miss an important element. So the, one of the important elements, again, was this unstructured data, which is it's now taken pictures visual data and transform that into numerical information that kind of an artificial neural network can now use. That's convolutional neural networks. And so the, the whole application of vision data, of tagging photos, of using spoken word of text are now data sources that can now be applied as well as sort of numerical data. Right. So that's kind of a big breakthrough. Interesting. And um, I think so you briefly talked about some of the innovative ways or some of the use cases where we are, see- where we are seeing sort of um, AI and machine learning impact, uh, making an impact. What are some of the enterprise use cases that you are seeing where AI is disrupting um, and making changes? If you can walk us through those. Right. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, 
fastest AI powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. So therein lies the opportunity. The early use cases I, I suggested there were kind of the born digital companies, the, the mm. space companies that really now embedded AI at their core. So the opportunity is now how can enterprise clients find those opportunities so that they can, you know, further differentiate themselves. And, you know, some of the, some of the drivers are, you know, the availability of rich data, uh, you know, unstructured types of information. So packaged goods, retail, media, advertising, entertainment, telco, you know, finance, uh, investment, healthcare, business services, government, defense, all of those companies that tend industries and sectors tend to be data rich, lend themselves very well and will become these kind of early adopters. And what we're seeing is that it really spans across all of the functions. Marketing can be benefited, finance benefits, HR benefits, operation has, you know, benefits. And the way to think of it again is how do I either automate an existing practice? How do I augment my decision making? Or even I can do kind of autonomous things. So, um, you know, I cited a case, uh, a case study that we did early on, which was these kind of digital agents. So in many ways, these AI powered chatbots, I think will become the front end of artificial intelligence applications, they will understand natural language processing, they will try to mimic short term user intents. And then if you reach a question that you didn't previously anticipate, it will go against a large data set, website information, product manual information, and really help uh, provide that kind of insight. So for example, in a government agency, they wanted to go ahead and uh, improve what the um, a user's ability to access uh, land development codes have you ever looked at a government website about land mm. development? It's impossible for a citizen to use. So now I can create a digital agent to guide them through their intents and or find the part of the website that's most relevant. All right. The library, we met with the Library of Congress. They're trying to unlock. Their task is to preserve and protect the history of the country. It's like mm. Indiana Jones, walls of, you know, rooms of data. How do I monetize that? How do I read that, make that unstructured data? Those are the types of problems that, some people are trying to use, all right? Marketing, huge across all the four P's of marketing. You know, pricing is a huge one. How do I forecast price? How do I forecast sales? How do I forecast costs? All of those things can be done. Segmentation, people who bought this bought that. You know, you can now, convenience stores looked at segments of people who bought this and that, and all of a sudden saw, hey, people who bought diapers also buy beer. It wasn't intuitive. It turns out that, you know, it turns out when they look further, guys on the way home from the store got the call to buy diapers and, you know, bought mm -hmm. beers as well. So you find these unanticipated clusters of purchasing behavior uh, by looking at this kind of information. All this sentiment analysis this is, is something somebody's saying positive or negative. And how does that impact my brand or my future purchasing uh, or the content that I want to see or the way I want to vote? So there are a lot of kind of applications around that type of information. Personalization, the ability to send mm. the right message at the right time to the person who kind of wants it uh, becomes improved. Personalization becomes the fourth P of, of kind of marketing, all right? What the next best offer, the next best action is that maximizes that user's uh, 
intent, uh, you know, users' intent of what they want to see. Healthcare, huge applications, image processing, prediction, uh, government, defense, you know, huge application, defense, you know, major investor in terms of AI types of technology. So it really spans across a whole host of, uh, of, of client and enterprise application uses. Interesting. Um, and thank you for walking us through that. So um, I want to understand from you, what are some of the attributes of a successful AI project, right? So um, we, um, it, you had a good experience in a lot of companies and, 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 and sort of how had, like, how have you measured um, a successful AI deployment or, or AI project, uh, if you can walk us through that? Yeah, so I think of that in kind of two ways. There's, there's the success of the project and then there's the organization's success. Mm. Um, successful project, you know, it does start with good data, right? It starts mm. with, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So the ability to have a data rich environment, uh, again, I think of it big data, but I think of it as wide data. So if you're a retailer, you only have typically so many customers. I can add more richness to that customer set. Machine learning lends itself very well to then analyzing that data to determine predictive nature or you know clustering nature of that information. I can also add to my rows by getting more customers. And I think of those as kind of two different ways of thinking about the project, but good data. Um, you know, where I've seen projects fail is where they devolve into science experiments. So there is no one AI algorithm. Um, there's a mm. series of techniques that can be applied. And I've seen projects at times end up in terms of, you know, is this a Boltzmann machine or is this you know, a, uh, a Bayes algorithmic approach? And, and so at the prototyping, at the proof of concept phase, it's, it's important to get data, get a minimum viable product quickly mm. that's tied to business value so that I've got a quick success. It may not have everything, but it'll be in that class of minimum viable product that I could then go ahead and drive, uh, you know, drive into a second phase that leads to an implementation phase. But this whole notion of, of two years, you know, it has to be an agile kind of process to, to, to get to that kind of phase pretty quickly tied to, to business outcomes. Um, you know, the organizational part is almost as challenging, which is mm. how do I create a you know, a culture of innovation. There are a lot of reasons why established organizations, you know, are resistant to change or, you know, they broke in. Uh, how do I, how do I incur that expense in order to sort of, you know, cannibalize myself for the future, if you will, is always a tough business decision. So it takes a kind of a strategy of innovation coupled with the art of the possible. So a lot mm -hmm. of internal organizations aren't aware of what the art of the possible is. Uh, you know, I like to think of it as the uh, Henry Ford example. Mm. You know, they asked Henry Ford, did you ask consumers what they wanted? And he goes, you know, I did. And they told me they wanted faster horses, mm. right? So people don't know what they don't know. And so you need to kind of couple their business expertise with this art of the possible in order to now generate kind of new a portfolio of new thinking in order to kind of drive that that forward, and then you need to you know align the organization uh, needs to be aligned 
in order to create this culture of trial, this culture of error out there. If you want to run fast prototypes and be agile, they're not all going to work. Mm. You can't penalize those people that have now taken that risk. And so you have to create that as kind of a, a culture within the organization. Interesting. So uh, if I'm a business um, and, and I want to figure out the next um, um, opportunity, like where, where can I find some of the potential use cases that uh, I, could, I could work on in, in, in business context, in AI and machine learning? Yeah, so the way we've typically operated with customers, and I think the way uh, it gets done. So some companies say, hey, look, I've got to get uh, some AI stuff. So I hire a, a couple of kids. And I start doing it. I, you know, I actually think that they're, uh, you know, they could get some value out of that, but it really needs to start from a kind of a top-down approach, mm. which is, you know, I really need to start with the leadership getting behind a strategy of innovation. You end up doing a workshop that you end up identifying a portfolio of opportunities that exist out there. Uh, we typically think you need to kind of bring in outside help who can help with this kind of art of the possible way of thinking. Uh, you know, now I kind of create a couple of proof of concepts out there. Um, I actually think proof of concepts that focus on external data outside of the firewall, they go quicker. You control, you know, I can access Twitter data. I can access a lot of social data pretty quickly uh, in order to kind of generate what some of these kind of use cases look like. Um, and, and at the same time, then the organization then starts, you know, creating kind of the competency in order to do that. And we often advocate that the clients create a competency center to get started on this, that they do get this outside help with the art of the possible, that they really focus on creating engaging customer experiences is really the place to start. You know, you prototype quick wins, you confirm that you've got kind of the right data, you do it in an agile fashion. So you start off by doing an assessment that lays out this AI roadmap. Typically, it could include some prototyping work, and that's the way companies can get started pretty quickly. Interesting, interesting. And and um, how to get started? Uh, so sure, I have figured out some some of the use cases, and what are some of the innovative ways I can uh, I can? How should companies should think about and how should they get started? If if you can walk us through that. So, um, yeah, I'll try to amplify a little clearer, perhaps. Um, so it does typically start with kind of an assessment project. And, and mm -hmm. there are a lo lot of ways to do it, but we follow that I6 framework that I laid out earlier, which starts off with, you know, kind of the individual. So how do I create some customer experiences? What's the, uh, the information that's kind of required to do that? I, we define a series of, and it's often about the customer journey, and it's about improving customer or consumer experiences. And then you identify a series of prototypes. All right, so maybe that's one half of the assessment. The other half of the assessment is to actually go ahead and do those kind of prototypes. Um, once you've got a prototype, then I think the organization can often start taking those prototypes to operationalize within, within, their, within their four walls, if you will, to turn those into operational applications. That's a great way of laying out what an AI strategy looks like. Mm. And you do so in the context of keeping track of, you know, one great exercise is to say, you know, companies are inhibited 
by their internal practices or internal data, the way they do, you know, you often try to start with a, if I were to get into this business from scratch, how would I approach it? How is that startup thinking about improving the relationship with my customer better? And I really try to recreate what that customer experience should look like. And then I try to do that within my context of my environment. So I lay out a vision mm. of where do you want to be in you know, three to five years. You figure out a baseline of where you are you know, and where you are on the maturity curve. And then you do a gap analysis. What are the gaps for me to get to where I want to be? And then what are those projects that I need to do in order to close those gaps? And then how do I keep that tied to business outcomes? So there's a, uh, you know, a playbook that, that we tend to follow to help clients get to value quickly. Interesting. And, and actually, so one of the things that, that we hear a lot from our vantage point is if folks that are struggling to convince leadership uh, of how to get started, right? So definitely, they, and thank you so much for walking us through how to get started and how to plan these projects. But, but what about the challenges when it comes to convincing leaders of the value to get started in this? Do you have any, any, any insights on that? So, you know, there's carrot or stick. Um, mm. I tend to like to think of it from a carrot point of view of, of what the effectiveness opportunities are, so where the top-line growth opportunities are, how I'm serving my customers better, uh, how I'm being more efficient, how I'm driving costs out of the system through the application of these technologies. So those are kind of compelling sort of ROI business cases. Um, the second business case and, and where, where we see there's huge risk is a lot of companies have uh, a fast follower mindset. Mm. I'm simply going to keep track of what's going on and then move quickly. Right. And the, you know, there are myriad of cases around how fast followers have failed to be able to react quickly enough, where a smaller company has created a, uh, an app and nobody's really using it and they improve it a little bit. Nobody's really using it. Nobody, and they improve it a little bit more. And all of a sudden, everyone rushes to it, to that new approach. And they are far behind the ability now to, to respond effectively. So, you know, I would just think fast follower is a losing strategy for an enterprise. And whether they are, you know, creating the center of competence internally within the organization to do that, if they're complementing that with external resources in order to not have to make that much of a CapEx investment, they really need to be reimagining their customer relationship, their information architecture, and, you know, what the portfolio of potential projects are that can improve, you know, their either customer intimacy or their operational effectiveness. Interesting. And, and what is the organizational implication of all this? Uh... So, um, you know, I do think it starts with a creating a culture of innovation. So a mm. culture where the, the, where risks are going to be encouraged and, and, uh, and where, you know, we're going to allow experiments to, to occur and, uh, and where, you know, occasionally uh, failure is tolerated because of, mm. because of those risks that are, that are, that are occurring. Uh, I do think there's best to have this competency center. So you have a few 
resources that are knowledgeable that can connect the various dots. I think it does make sense to get outside help. Uh, I do think you want to kind of prototype these things. And, um, you know, that's kind of the, 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 the culture of change that you want to be able to, uh, to put in place and this agile kind of process that they need to put in place. Interesting. And, and, and what's the societal impact of, 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 of this evolution? Hey, so, you know, AI, uh, has uh, a lot of advocates and some, uh, you know, some concerned folks out there. Uh, at this point, there are a couple of types of AI. There's applied AI, and that's frankly all we're talking about now. And then there's general AI or pure AI, which is this, you know, omnipresent knowledge. Today, I, we can't see any of the major companies working on pure AI types of that and generalized AI. It's really all about applied, applied AI. You give a computer a goal and it will look at the data set and optimize itself to, to optimize that particular goal. I want to understand what the, whether the stock market, whether some asset class is going to be higher or lower in six months or not. I take all the available data and try to figure that out. Uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of that uh, goal optimization approach. Um, you know, a, a famous paper was written, Kuhn, on the you know, structure of scientific revolution out there. And scientific revolutions go through three basic phases. And uh, when the automobile, when the automotive engine, steam engine got created, um, you know, the first thing they did was, you know, replace the horse. So mm. I continued plowing the fields, only now I'm plowing the fields with this kind of engine. Then I kind of realized, well, I can build roads and make these engines more efficient and expand mm. my reach. And then over time, the suburbs got created. But no one, you know, transformation occurred in society as a result of that. But no one really was able to predict that the suburbs were gonna come when the steam engine got created. But those are three stages. So you improve what you're currently doing, you know, you do it better, in an augmented sense, and then eventually you have transformation. So constructive destruction uh, will occur. It's occurred many times over the past. It will likely occur again. Uh, most people think that 25% of the work of a white-collar person mm. can be automated. You know, you don't have to go looking for things anymore. A lot of that stuff I don't have to schedule meetings. I don't have to spend my time on a bunch of administration things. Those can all be automated. Decisions that I make can be augmented. I can make smarter decisions. And then there are, you know, a whole other class of robotics and autonomous elements out there as well. So I can do new things that really do not involve uh, sort of human intervention, if you will. So there, you know, there are a couple of classes out there, but I do think the organizational implication will eventually be, you know, I think of narrower trees. Mm. So when an organization's a tree, the trees will get narrower, mm. and I think you'll have a lot more trees in the forest. Interesting. And that's kind of that's kind of my vision of what the uh, you know kind of the future will look like. Interesting. So. Um... Let's let's talk uh, briefly about your uh, your academia background. Like, so you said that you are helping uh, business leaders understand this idea of AI and and 
and I, i'm curious to know what is one thing that you are like you are presently um either surprised with that executives get it wrong about ai like do you have any insights on those so you know it's still a general comment right but hmm. we've had companies that send 10 people to these classes major corporate hmm. major fortune five you'll have a couple of vps some directors a team that uh is systems engineers a couple of data scientists all right they they all have a different impression of what ai is and what mm. the business cases are uh you know what ai versus machine learning versus deep learning versus neural networks are um but i do think that one of the most beneficial things i have found is that by walking people through kind of understanding that and understanding how some of these capabilities work and trying to see that it really is a classification or segmentation mm. element and that it's a predicting element so all of a sudden you know the end of the class has them building use cases and they have pages of use cases coming out of the class where they didn't have any coming into the class where they're struggling with all of a sudden procurement says wow you know i can really now forecast the risk mm. of all the suppliers out there based on all of this external data so i want to be able to you know understand risk of my supply chain if you will and you know finance ends up with a whole notion of, wow now i can predict costs mm. you know in a in a in a different way that i kind of thought of in the past hr people now feel i can understand um you know if i want to hire a salesperson you know i think maybe they want them to be extroverted or versus introverted but i really haven't tested that and i can start you know determining various attributes and start looking at at personality profiles in in innovative ways um so you know you can go through the marketing person all of a sudden really looks at the ability to drive content and advertising and location and weather and you know now all of a sudden i can forecast sales the packaged goods company hmm. that can now look at weather and events and a whole and social trends and you know maybe that can help me predict how much more ice cream i'm going to sell by knowing what the weather is going to be and the fact that this concert happens to be there and hmm. uh you know this flavor is trending and you know all of a sudden people start seeing new ways of improving what their kind of underlying functions look like by use of this application churn modeling people who you know large corporations value chain banks and telecommunications companies and have entire organizations invested in understanding that think wow if i can add these other columns you know make my data wider i might be able to do a better job of predicting an important element such as what churn looks like and what you know new customer acquisition elements look like and suddenly i can think of life events mm. you know i could find out that someone is moving or they got a job or they got a, a raise or you know their kids going to college and you know wow all of a sudden that generates a, an awful lot of uh of new information that i didn't have access to in the past so so people become um enamored with what the art of the possible becomes mm. and are able to you know pretty quickly create 
uh, a whole series of use cases um, that are unique to their situation, right? Uh, and uh, and so that's you know the, the, your original question was the satisfying part of the of the academia part is really by kind of helping people understand how these things work a little bit. They understand they learn what they don't do as much as they learn what they do do. So right now people think AI does everything. So you got to focus at that AI helps you with these things, and armed with that, they're able to really elaborate or articulate what the value of you know things like classification and prediction can do to their Interesting. business. Interesting. So if if I'm an executive and I don't have access to say your uh, university, like how do I how should I get started with understanding what what the hell AI is and how how should I do? Whether it's, what are some of the some of your thoughts that uh, I, I as a leader could do? Maybe like two or three next tangible steps to help me understand this landscape a bit better. So you know, we've kind of talked about that in a couple of different ways, but yeah, they can hire some. You can hire some resources so you can start getting some skills, and there are different skills that AI requires. You know, all of a sudden they require curators or cognitive architects, some mm-hmm. jobs you didn't necessarily have before. Um, but I do think it's I do think a great way to do it is to drive uh, workshops, innovation mm. workshops. So you bring together internal resources, business resources. It's really business resources that are almost the most important to figure. And then you have someone to help, you know, facilitate that kind of discussion. So, you know, it really is kind of a, a little bit of here's what's possible. Now let's do some brainstorming processes and or some major pain points, and you use that to identify a portfolio of potential elements that you can then, you know, start determining which ones are more feasible, what the data requirement, the ROIs, what a, you know, potential proof of concept would look like. And, you know, you could then surface a series of those and the 10, you know, the 20 ideas become the top five and you choose to, you know, work on one or two of them. Uh, I worked with one major telecommunications company that had so many proof of concepts that they wanted to execute and wanted to create that culture of innovation. Mm. And they didn't want everybody to kind of have to go through this approval process. So they actually mm. set aside a fund for, uh, you know, this is a pretty substantial fund for proof of concepts. Mm. And, you know, they facilitated the fact that at least that was budgeted for. So they still had a way of gauging it, but they had a proof of concept fund that they were then able to allow companies to do internal things or external things in order to drive that kind of innovation, to do some quick learning. And they did a lot of it externally because mm-hmm. they wanted it done fast. They, they couldn't wait for the resource to get built. You know, it's just, so proof of concepts are frequently done at pace externally. And mm-hmm. if they seem to, to resonate, now I can kind of you know, bring them into my you know, into my two-tiered, you know, IT architecture, if you will, my agile structure. Um, and that's the way some, you know, that's the way companies are approaching some of this. Interesting. Now let's spend a few minutes on you. Uh, I, I, I think one of the things that I definitely want from your perspective on, what are like one, two, three best practices that has really helped you uh, be what you are, if, if, you can, if you can shed some light on that? Um. Hey, look, in my career, I started off as a data scientist. I kind of concluded that uh, my uh, niche was better at taking these complex elements and matching them to customer pain points. Mm. But rather than doing the work, I enjoyed matching 
the capabilities, getting to know customers, building their trust, figuring out what their pain points are, and trying to simplify the technology to meet their pain points. So, you know, I try to be at the intersection of business and technology. Um, others are pure technologists. Mm. Others are more kind of pure business guys. Mm. So my, uh, my raison d'etre, where I've had the most fun, is staying up to date on all of these emerging technologies, being aware of the art of the possible, being tied to customer business needs, and helping them drive value. Um, so, you know, it's subject matter expertise and, you know, data analytics, emerging technology, AI technologies, coupled with domain expertise within specific industry verticals, you know, packaged goods, retail, financial services, uh, you know, healthcare, uh, media and entertainment, um, and really bridging the gap in, in, in those two elements. Interesting. And, and we almost at the tail end of, tail end of, of the interview. So uh, one thing that we almost ask every of the speaker is about their favorite read that they want to share with our listener and viewers. Do you say that again? So we ask um, uh, our, our, our guests about their favorite reads or favorite book that they have read that they want to share. Do you have one that, that you want to share? So I, um, I'll, I'll indicate a class. So I am um, hooked on podcasts. Uh, I'm hooked on on consuming as much media as possible. Um, you know, I'm a cyclist. I play a little golf. I try to turn every exercise opportunity into a podcast moment. All right. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really become enamored with a lot of the uh, university materials. Mm. that are available out there. Uh, you know, Coursera has some great stuff. Jeffrey Clinton, uh, Jeffrey Hinton has, you know, his version of neural of deep learning available on a free on a Coursera class, as does mm. Andrew Ng. Uh, Udemy has some great, great content around artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, all of those kind of elements that, that can be consumed. EDX, has an awful lot of, of content that's out there with Rutgers. We're actually creating, you know, online kind of learning capabilities as well. Uh, you know, I've been taking a class uh, in machine learning from MIT that's offered online and from uh, Caltech that's offered online. And you can just sit there and, and take all of those things. Interesting. Um, so, you know, that is... Um, some of the stuff and as far as podcast books i'm getting ready to tackle war and peace uh, mm. i'm not quite sure i can handle 30 hours of it <laughs> uh that's just a big big long putt but it is at the intersection mm. of kind of historical context during the napoleonic wars and one of the true classics of all time writers <laughs> and so uh I'm really tempted to uh, play a couple of rounds of golf and listen to, uh, you know, War and Peace. That's my next read, my next listen. Interesting, interesting, awesome. And and do you have any 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 podcast uh, that you like? You want to you want to recommend? 
well, I did go through, you know, a, a few of them, right? So uh, I, I want to use this as an opportunity to thank to thank you, right? So I've spent a lot of time looking for um, AI applied AI related podcasts, mm. and I personally have a hard time finding material in that niche. Mm. They're either very technical around, you know, Python techniques mm. or they're very general around, you know, what the future of engagement to customers might look like. Mm. And none of them are at that kind of intersection. That's why I jumped at the opportunity to be part of yours. I may create one. I may partner with you. But I nice. think there is really that kind of area of the application of business and technology mm. are a dirt. I mean, there aren't any good ones out there. All right. So I do try to listen to the Foresters and the Gartners of the world. Mm. Uh, Harvard, uh, what's it called? Harvard Business Review or Harvard, mm. Harvard Cast has one uh, mm. that's out there. Um, you know, the, the, uh, there's an economics one that's really good that really digs into a lot of this is about economic theory, right? And, and how it gets applied in innovative ways. Um, so those are some of the, uh, you know, kind of my go-to kind of kinds of podcasts as well as, Interesting. you know, I mean, I really view the computer as a supercomputer in your pocket and, mm. you know, I'm, I'm enthralled by everything that's available to learn out there. So I'm a little bit less social media, more content consumption. Nice, nice. I think that's that's uh, great recommendations, and definitely uh, shamelessly plugging this podcast as well. So um, <laughs> uh, now let's. Uh, and by the way, uh, John, thank you so so much uh, for being really candid and walking us through some of the interesting insights on 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 the world of AI and machine learning. Before we part ways, I I definitely want um, your closing remark for our listeners and our viewers. Do you have any, any any parting thoughts for those those folks? Um, you know, I mean, I happen to think that better decisions lead to better outcomes, and that AI will allow all of us to make better decisions. All company, at least, better informed decisions, more informed decisions, maybe, uh, and it'll allow organizations to make more informed decisions, and. And it'll allow society to make more informed decisions. And so, uh, so I take the glass half full approach. Um, um, and I and I do think that uh, for you know enterprise out there in particular, that there is a, you know, we're we're moving from the early adopters, which tended to be those big Fortune 500. So at IBM, we'd show up to these big companies that say, give us a couple of million dollars, and we'd go off and do a science experiment for the early adopters. They could mm. afford it. They really wanted to, uh, you know, make sure they're not left behind in technology. Um, most other companies, you know, run a little bit of a tighter ship. And, you know, we are entering into the, the, the early majority phase out there where, you know, speech recognition has reached a point that's pretty good. Mm. Visual recognition reach a point that's pretty good here i'll i'll leave any listeners that are left i will ask them to do this task go to facebook mm. from their phone or from their website and look at uh, send a message 
page on any company's website. Go to Pepsi, go to any company you want, mm. and click send a message. Mm. And tell me what you get. In most cases, you get nothing. Mm. I have sat in front of most packaged goods companies, most retailers, most financial services. I want to create a better relationship with my customers True. is literally the first word out of any manager's mouth. I look at Facebook, Messenger, send me a message, and these companies are sound mm. asleep. There is not, there are, it's got to be less than 3% of companies that yeah. are actually engaging their customers in a channel where many of their customers are at and have a trip. I have never seen a bigger business opportunity than by going to Facebook and send a message to that company. And then if they don't have anything, contact that company and right. let's tell them we can fix that. We can help them engage with their customers better. Um, so opportunities are uh, abound. And, um, and I think there are tremendous ways of, 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 of those companies that take advantage of the early adopter opportunities they have as opposed to being the laggards. And, and those companies will benefit from the science experiments, from what's worked, what's not worked, and can, uh, can benefit from that. And that little last pearl I gave you is a huge business opportunity. <laughs> so uh, with that, thank you so much, John, uh, for, for, uh, for spending a uh, generous amount of time with our audience, walking us through all the school insights. You're always welcome on the podcast. Um, love to have you back again in a couple of months listening to your journey. And 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 definitely whenever you're in Boston, love to meet over. Uh, we can play. We can go for a golf. Uh, yes, we can do that. Uh, so thank you podcast. so much. So quick, I'm so uncomfortable. Don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once. That's it. Can I go into the booth feeling nervous? Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside, I'm breaking down. I hope I'm not up on a certain.